gun case looking briefcase through security on the flight from Texas to Vermont? You know, it's it's funny. I always get a, an interesting look from the TSA agent. And I remember my first time they stopped to say, hey, what's in the briefcase? I was very confused. And I looked at them and said, well, pens and paper? And they, <laughs> they, they kind of looked at me for a second and were like, okay. And, you know. The weapons of the debater. Yeah, it really gave away that complete nerd look I carry around with me at all times. Fantastic. And did, did I hear you right that your briefcase has a name? Yes. Uh, his name is Alfonso, Alfie for short. Why, why on earth do you name your briefcase Alfonso? Of all things for your briefcase to be named, why Alfonso? Um, a couple things. One, my team came up with it, not me. I bought it through Amazon, and so we said, where's the Amazon? It's in Brazil. Oh, that sounds Brazilian. Alfonso. Perfect. And what a perfect name. This, so, yes, I, I was gone for a round. I came back, and they said, hey, Matthew, we, we have something to tell you. This is quite important. And now I have a briefcase with a name and a backstory. You know, its favorite uh, food is quinoa. Excellent. Excellent. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a special summer episode of What's the Res? Rather than our uh, ordinary commentary on the ongoing conversation, as a part of the ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate, uh, Ethan and I today are doing a joint episode interviewing Matthew Tweeden, a very successful debater that uh, we've met now for two years in a row at the Coolidge Cup tournament. So, Ethan, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thank you. One of the things that I really wanted uh, to, to get Matthew's help with is that uh, as we were talking uh, last week, we learned quite a few things that Matthew has an excellent vocabulary for debater jargon. Now, as I've mentioned several times on this show, uh, I love coaching debate, but I don't have a huge amount of experience in competitive debate myself. I did really one semester of t intense competition and got just enough of a taste of debate that I would have liked it, but there's a lot of terminology that I'm still learning as I encounter different debaters. And so Matthew today is going to help us with some of that debater jargon that uh, we don't always know. But before we get there, Matthew, help us know a little bit about you. Who are you? How old are you? Where do you come from? All those details. Sure thing. So, Matthew Tweeden, I just finished my sophomore year at Round Rock Christian Academy in Round Rock, Texas, just north of the great city, Austin. You know, fun fact, our state capital is a full seven feet taller than the U.S. capital, so something else for Texas to be proud of. Thanks for that. I've been debating since seventh grade. We have a tournament or two each year in middle school, and then jumping into high school, we have, I'd say, about a dozen tournaments a year when you include things such as the Coolidge Cup. So I absolutely love what I do. Um, I compete in a wide variety of events, Lincoln-Douglas, Congressional, I've done PF, Extemp Debate, Oratory Impromptu, Extemporaneous Speaking, uh, that of course being international, domestic, persuasive, informative, so many different types. Uh, and at some of the more fun tournaments, Group Improv, Duet Improv, I am undefeated in Group Improv. Can, can you as an individual be in, undefeated in Group Improv? I've had a revolving door of teammates, but the team I have been on is undefeated. That works. That, that works, works for me. Yeah. Right. Do you say extemp debate? Do we even have that in North Carolina? Uh, it, it's, I, I don't think I've told you about this yet, but it's going to be an experimental event at the Duke University High School Tournament in October. Oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah. For, for the people who get knocked out of yes. the regular debate. So it's, it's going to be new to our area, but I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So it originates from NSDA Nationals. Uh, it's organized, NSDA Nats is organized to where you have... All of your main events, so LD, Policy, PF, both Houses of Congress, HIDI, Duo, and uh, Program of Oral Interp, 
ex- U.S. extemp, international extemp, uh, oratory and info are your main events. You start, oh, and big question, sorry. You start off on those on Monday, and if you are not competing come Wednesday, you can drop into what's called a supplemental event. So that's expository speaking, extemporaneous commentary, prose poetry, and my personal favorite, extemp debate. It is fast and furious, and I absolutely adore the event just because it's this beautifully organized chaos. I was about to ask what your favorite one was. Do you think... Do you think that you like it because it's like debate, except it's almost like impromptu, so you're drawing from your bank of knowledge that you get to that you get to just come kind of come like on your feet? So I wouldn't say it's my favorite event okay. um, because I like to talk, <laughs> right? And the longest speech you'll ever give in extemp debate is two minutes. Oh, okay. So I love the case writing. So this past year at NSDA Nationals, I broke to round nine, which starts on Wednesday. However, I did not move on to round 10, 11, 12, the other rounds we'd have on Wednesday. So I was free all day Wednesday after uh, 9 a.m. So I went down to where we were having the extemp debate rounds, and I helped my district write cases because that's part of what we're able to do with extemp debate. It's uh, almost a teamwork effort once the topic drops, and it's just this chaos to get organized. So you do have to write cases for extemp debate. It's not like impromptu debate. No, so you get 30 minutes to prep. Uh, Topic drops, you get a half an hour, internet access... You can find whatever you want. Uh, it essentially came down to uh, one other kid and I coming up with the arguments and everyone else at the table as our team of non-professional researchers. Nice. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, Matthew, one of the things that uh, we do as a pretty young program, I mean, we're, every year we're evaluating kind of how we've been debating and we're looking to improve in our debate. And this coming year, we're, we're making some changes to, to our team. Uh, we're officially joining the NSDA. We're joining the Dogwood League. And we, we have our sights set on uh, our two big tournaments for us, at least, that I know we're aiming for. Uh, we're we're going to try to go to the Harvard tournament in February. And uh, we're going to try to go to the Heart of Europe International Debating Tournament in the Czech Republic uh, next July. So that being said, uh, I, I'd love it if you could just kind of walk us through. I know Ethan has a list, and he'll kind of toss you some terms and just tell us whatever you can tell us about them. Um, but I'd love it if you could help us know some of the terms that get often used in higher-level debates. Uh, we tend to kind of float towards we – have, we always have a lot of novice students, and then we have students who are just crossing that barrier from novice to trying to be in the top ranks uh, at tournaments. So I think some of these terms will help us know either what we should use or what, at least what other teams are, are using mm-hmm. in their case writing. Yeah, so – Understanding the jargon is such a big thing. I am very fortunate, hailing from the great state of Texas, we have everything you could ever imagine. You can go across the street to a progressive-style tournament, spreading it 400 words a minute. We're arguing K's and T's and everything all at once. Or I can head downtown and we have a nice, casual, very values-focused LD debate. There's a little bit of everything. You can pick what you want, sometimes go right down the middle, like my district qualifier tournament is, and... There's really anything and everything you could imagine. So I have some familiarity working with most of these ideas. I'm not going to pretend at all to be an expert. There will be times I look at you and say, I wish I knew. I'm not your guy to ask. However, in general, these are arguments I've encountered, I've worked with, I've probably written, 
and I, I'd hope to be able to explain it as best possible. Okay, so you mentioned K's and T's in there, and I know that a lot of these things we're about to talk about are things that you don't see typically in traditional debate, but when you enter, it seems like a more progressive sort of circuit. You start to encounter these different forms of jargon, and like you said, like speaking at different speeds. Is that, is that right? Is that accurate? Or- yeah, so the thing is, all debate stems from a same origin point, right? So LD especially, when we talk about critical debate, we're looking to fundamental values. So this idea of critical debate is really intrinsic in LD. It's not something from the outside. It's more of just a far-end extension of it. Likewise, when we use the term T or topicality or theory, this all does come down to things we already work with, definitions, ideas, the way that resolutions are built. So they're things we already debate. It's just kind of a standard way of organizing them so everyone's competing on the same field. Okay, so we know that K stands for critique. Yes. Can you describe to us what a critique is, who gets to use it, when it's used, and if there's different types? I know at the airport you were telling me there's three different types, so could we learn about that? Yeah, three main types. So hailing from the German spelling of the word critique, we have a K, or a critic, and they're, they're a lot of fun, I guess you could say. So to understand a K, let's look to its history first. They originated in policy debate. Like I said, LD already was debating values, so they really didn't have a need for a K, especially when it was back to being very traditional across the board. In policy, there's a fundamental theory called fiat, which is where, say the affirmative introduces a plan, we have to assume the plan passes or else I as negative would write one super generic case saying Congress is useless and nothing will get passed. Right? So you have to assume passage of the plan in order to debate it. So when we're debating a plan, say, suspend military aid to Saudi Arabia, if I were to debate you on that, I'd debate you post-fiat, after the plan is implemented. What are the impacts? Well, there's also a world of debate called the pre-fiat debate. And this is saying it doesn't matter if the judge votes to pass your plan or not. At the end of the day, what happens in the round is the only thing that has a substantive effect. So say you use language that's diminishing to minorities. Well, that could be a problem because it has real-world impacts. And that's essentially what a K is. It's saying that debate as an event has real-world impacts. So let's make sure we're debating correctly before saying which side of an issue we're on. That said, we get to the three key types of case. And in case you'd like a much, much, much more detailed guide, I would encourage you to look at An Introduction to the Critique by William Bennett. You can find it online by looking up Debate Critic. It'll probably be the top thing that pops up. It is, I want to say, a good six pages long, but it's very comprehensive, and it's, it's pretty helpful. Great resource for anyone looking to get into K-Debate. So, essentially, Ks come in three types. First and foremost is a thinking, next is a rhetoric or language, and finally is a value K. And I'm going to talk very briefly on the three of these and kind of what makes them unique, and then I'll talk about Ks in general. So starting off with the idea of a thinking critic. This looks specifically at the event of debate, the way the debate is being handled. So I'm going to tell you later about disclosure theory, right? The idea that affirmative needs to share their case with the negative probably 30 minutes before the round. You could argue as a K that I'm harming debate by not disclosing. This could also start to fit under topicality or T arguments, but in general, it will be a disclosure K. Usually the negative runs a K in contrast to an affirmative position because it is written to be a counter to a plan 
in general, of course. They have become much, much more versatile over the years. Next are these rhetoric or language case. So this past year, uh, NSDA policy has been debating the idea of immigration. Well, Say My Case uses the word anchor baby. Anchor baby carries an extreme negative connotation and can lead to uh, structural violence, a mindset that's bigoted against immigrants. So if my opponent is using this language that has damaging effects in the real world and perpetuating that cycle through debate, they are having a negative real world impact, whereas their fake plan to expand the number of H-1B visas, like doesn't actually do anything in the real world. And so that's why K's matter is they, they play into the real world. So that's a think or that that's a language K or a rhetoric K. And then the finally is a values K. And this is where you start to see, in my opinion, the most well-developed K's, um, the most the most intrinsic case, because with some of the others you can include things, especially with thinking, is a, a plan inclusive counterplan. So say your plan involved uh, the term Native American. And I said Native American carries bigotry with it. We prefer the use of the term American Indian. We present the exact same plan, but we say American Indian instead. Right? So that in would that be... scenario, you basically co-opt the original side's plan, change the wording to a slightly more politically correct term, and then you present the plan as your own. Yes. It's called a plan-inclusive counterplan. Okay. And so, for example, changing a word would be a, p- uh, would be a pick or... Um, if it was suspend military aid to Saudi Arabia, I could say suspend military aid to Saudi Arabia except for training, which is included under, I want to say, Section 7 of the United States Munitions List, because training can be used to promote humanitarian, or not humanitarian, but more ethical ways of war that use less civilian targeting, and that would be a concern in terms of the war in Saudi Arabia, or the war in Yemen. So this would be a circumstance in which a plan-inclusive counterplan could be similar to a K, but a bit different, uh, specifically okay. in, like, language. Uh, there's also a PIC spelled P-I-K, which is a plan-inclusive critic, and that's kind of that gray area in between, right? The final type of K being a values K, so, like, feminism Ks. Say say my uh, position, my plan perpetuates violence against women or systemic violence against women. I know the one I saw this most recently on was this past September, October, we were debating for candidates for public office, the right to know versus the right to privacy. Okay. And many right to privacy arguments held that uh, the right to know would objectively harm female candidates, and as long as we perpetuate that cycle in round and we use that gendered language, we would make the issue worse. So that was something I came up against. This also has things to do with more complex Ks, say uh, an Afro-pessimism K or a Time Cube K or a Baudrillard K, just very high-level thought. Now, Ks are organized in a very, I'm not going to say simple way, but a very direct way. First, you have to link what you're saying to the resolution. Now, I'm going to use America's favorite example, the capitalism critic. Yeah, you told me this is a famous one. Yes, like, the Cap K is probably heard of this one. the most well-known K just because it's so versatile. And even this week, we've been debating the idea of unilateral free trade. So say you stand up and fight for unilateral free trade. Well, I could stand up and say, first, he works under the inherent assumption that capitalism is good. Next, I move into what's called the impact, and the impact is where we see why capitalism 
isn't good. And of course, this being in debate, you can find all sorts of impacts. So I could argue, you know, I, I had a judge one time look at me after and go, yeah, I agree. Capitalism causes all the problems we have in this world. So there's a lot of ways you can link <laughs> capitalism to any problem. Wow. Depending on your link chain, right? So you find an impact. You could say climate change. You could say oppression of minorities, oppression of the impoverished. You could find anything to link to capitalism and its inherent evils. And then you'd provide an alt or an alternative. Okay. So this is where you have to look into some pretty deep critical theory to see, like, what is the alternative? So if you're running Slavoj Žižek, for example, the granddaddy of the Cap K, he, he has plenty of alts people will run. I know with the feminism critic I hit most recently, it was a very simple alt. It was uh, reject the affirmative and let's spend the rest of the debate uh, engaging in a discourse of feminist critical theory. Really? Yeah, it was. And, okay. and so... The problem was, the way you take down a K, you can address any one of these three points. So, so what were the three points again? Just to be clear, like, the, link, how, what's the structure of the K? Link, impact, alternative. And those things, so the link is the link to the resolution. The link and, to the, well, I guess the AF case. Okay. Um, the link, and then there's the impact, which is, like, why it matters, the significance, the long-term result. And then the alternative, which is, you know... Instead, how about we do this? And that's that's consistent through the three different types of Ks. Yes, this okay. is how all Ks end up being structured. Parley debate's a bit different, but in the world okay. of policy and LD, this is what you'll see. And can the affirmative run a K on the neg team, or is that done, does I'll that I'll get there happen? in a second. Okay, so how do you refute a K? How do you refute a K? Refuting a K run by the neg can be done by attacking any one of these three points. First is delinking, saying... The link's wrong. I don't perpetuate that problem. It's simply not there. That's not something I do. Next would be attacking the impact or an impact turn. So you could either impact turn it and say, but the harms of capitalism end up being good in the long run. Or alternatively, you could go with this notion that um, the impact isn't there. So you could just say, he, he de-link the impact. The impact isn't linked to the issue. My opponent greatly exaggerates the problem. Okay. And then finally would be to go after the alternative, to say, yes, but my opponent doesn't solve it either. So that would be conceding the framework of the K, but to say my opponent doesn't solve it, so let's jump back to post-fiat impact because there is no change in the pre-fiat world, so let's jump back to the actual meat of the debate. Is there an easiest refutation to make, or is it really a case-by-case -case basis? Depends on the one. So like uh, that Fem K, for example, it's been a long time since I hit that one, uh, but I'm pretty sure I went after the alt. Okay. I could be wrong, though. I, I don't have all my old flows on me at this time. Now, there are such things as AFKs, and those are usually run to point out a deeper issue in the world of debate. So okay. arguing that you should upvote the affirmative team on the basis of them being an oppressed minority, for example. Like, like the people debating. Yes. Being a so again, it comes pre-fiat. It's the actual world of the debate. So the fact that it, like, say you're an underrepresented minority in debate, uh, it would be beneficial to get you further into out rounds. That way you have increased representation and the debate community becomes mm. more accessible. Okay. Uh, likewise, you could also see something like, um, uh, I, I was reading a very interesting piece of literature recently and it was essentially saying that debate is no longer about discourse, but about winning. It, it was, uh, it was titled something to the effect of like, winning as everything competitive debate in the world of forensics or something to that effect. And it was, you, you could build a K on that ground an AFK and say, we're the worst team. Move us forward because it shows that winning isn't everything. It's about learning the most and we have the most to learn. So you could literally create anything out of this is what you're saying. Yeah. Like K. You, right. you have, 
any reason to vote the affirmative just on the grounds of who's debating could be fit as an AFK. Uh, I I don't have the perfect explanation of the AFK. I've never run well, one, never hit that's one. That's honestly but I've really helpful, I think, in part because I mean, that's the my understanding of at least watching some of the more experienced debaters at Hillsdale when they would either prep a K or they would go against a K, the major complaint was that it was always to the exclusion of the actual debate on the resolution. Yes. So rather, a K is always a sort of a sidestep of the actual positions prepared, the actual arguments that are typically made. And how do you how do you prepare a case if you're neg if the case specifically against the affirmative case do you have cases that are like generic cases that are ready to go against certain types of affirmative cases because it would seem really hard to do this on the spot so uh, I I told you I'd get at least a couple I don't know cards this is one of them okay F case or something I have zero experience with I've talked to people who run F case I have friends who run F case it's just not something I'm the best to answer on okay I I might have that one for you Ethan because I. Uh, this at least is extrapolating off of what, hap- what happened at one tournament uh, where I remember I was trying to figure out what to do with this argument and then the captain of the debate team went to the files but yeah, they had a file, this is literally mm-hmm. a file box, which I'm sure sounds archaic yeah. in this day of digital files but he literally pulled it, he reached in and he pulled out a specific she- uh, piece of paper and he said, this is the shell of this argument he handed that to me, and he showed me how to then take the pieces of the argument I needed were all outlined on that sheet of paper. And so then it was just a matter of taking the argument that was already outlined there and applying it to the specific resolution. Hmm. So I suspect what may happen is that teams, if they were going to run this as a regular strategy, someone has a set of Ks that are generally already worked up, or the pieces mm-hmm. are laid out, and then it's a matter of just tweaking an already existing document uh, to, to, to fit. Yeah, and the other thing is, like I mentioned with disclosure theory, at national level tournaments, national circuit, I should say, so not NSDA nationals or NCDA uh, nationals, but TOC qualifier or TOC bid tournaments and whatnot, there's usually disclosure theory, which is if I'm going to spread for six minutes straight my 1AC and cram every single point in at 400 words a minute, it's only fair that you get a chance to look at the case beforehand, so usually you'll have to disclose on the wiki about a half an hour in advance of the round. So there is a high school LD debate wiki, there's a public forum wiki, a a policy wiki. Uh, I don't know the web address off the top of my head, but it's run by the National Debate Coaches Association. It's like NCDA LD wiki, I think if you type in or something I I think it's like hsld.com ndca.com or something to that okay. effect. I uh, I honestly don't know it off the top of my head, but it's it's a useful resource because you can see what's being run at the top level nationally. Okay, and you were talking about how K's originated in policy debate, right? Yes. And policy debate is known for having different plans and counter plans. And earlier you were explaining to me what a perm is. So yes. Could you explain, and what's the full word for that? Is it it's what a permutation. It? Permutation. Okay, what exactly is a permutation, and can you give us a quick example of when you would use one? Yeah, so say, uh, let, let's jump back to the immigration topic. Let's say your plan is completely suspend all immigration in On the, the country. affirmative? Yeah, say okay. you're affirmative, and you say, hard border, no immigration for one year, something to that effect. Well, as the negative, if I stood up and said, well, I think we could really solve the world's problems by building a bunch of wind farms. Okay, well, as the affirmative... That's great, but if 
I haven't shown that you can't do both, that it's a competitive counterplan, it really has no place in the debate round. Now, if I've shown that if you suspended immigration, we wouldn't have any grounds to actually end up implementing these plans, then it would be possible. So whether it was political retaliation or the fact that it would overturn something else, right, there'd be these problems. It has to be competitive. A perm is what gets brought up when the counterplan is not competitive. So if I'm AF and I'm saying cut off the border, hard border, no question, and you say build a bunch of wind farms, but you haven't shown me why I can't do both, I just look at the judge, say perm do both, both AF just won the round. And neg can't, can neg perm a case? Or is that like really uncommon or just like, I so, don't know that would work? As someone who does traditional LD more or less and no policy, I don't know how that would be done. I'm sure someone out there has a crazy theory as to how you could. Now, NEG, okay. though, no. can subscribe to AF's impact. So, like, I had an LD round at Nats, round seven, where I started my 2AR. You know, I only got three minutes left in the round. And I basically said, my opponent never refuted that I reach my framework. So if you buy my framework, I win. But let's assume you don't. Here's why I win my opponents. So I basically spent 10 seconds dropping my framework and gave a whole list of reasons. I had four key reasons that I really hit hard as to why you couldn't access the um, affirmative impact without, or sorry, the, the, Oh, so that is on the affirmative. So that is a bit different. But so Neg could do the same thing. You took their case and you tried to like really own their case as well. That's, exactly. See, I find that really fascinating because in part because it lines up with one of the things that I teach in my logic class where we look at the difference between a strong disjunction and a weak disjunction. Mm-hmm. And where you can say something is either or, but the sometimes there's an implicit uh, either or and not both. But in some cases, it sounds like you're describing a weak disjunction where it could be both, in which case the one who perms the case is the one who tries to say, well, no, I'll just take that one too. Both of them are the case, therefore I win. Yeah, so I know uh, this would have been a better topic, the one we're debating at Coolidge, the idea of unilateral free trade. You saw a lot of negative cases that would just concede the benefits of free trade and then say, yeah, right. but wait, there's more. I did that. Yeah. Uh, I say I did it because I ran uh, human rights and local content requirements as my two key neg contentions. You were a big fan of that neg too. It was a good neg. I appreciated my neg. Too bad it didn't get uh, used as much. Yeah. <laughs> So can you, you were talking about impacts earlier. From my experience in debate, I debate in a pretty traditional kind of way in the area, and impacts are not talked about a whole lot. So could you explain to me really fast the, the importance of an impact? And I also have a common theme kind of going around now where I'm asking a lot of debaters what their definition of a warrant is because I get a couple of different answers every time. So could you explain to me why impacts are so important and what exactly is your definition of a warrant in debate? Great. Um, stop me if I get off topic because two questions can sometimes be a lot for me to handle. Yeah, I'll remind <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, so starting off with the idea of an impact, right? If you're coming from a very traditional LD circuit, you could stand there debating Locke's social contract and I could stand here debating Hobbes and we'd go on and on and on and as to why one is better. However, they both have an end result and that's the question that matters. So I come from what I'd call like middle of the road, right? So I can go and I can present a moral framework, but ultimately we will be debating the impacts because if you don't have the impacts, you can't reach the moral framework. So say my value is uh, is freedom, right? And I can say, well, inherently, uh, oh, this is a perfect example. Universal healthcare was the first topic I debated in high school. My AF value was freedom. And what I argued was to have like real freedom, the freedom from want and fear, as FDR mentioned, 
um, and this idea of like freedom from oppression, you need universal health care. So while as an action it may not be inherently liberating, the impact of it is. Oh, and so you okay. talk about like economic mobility and ability to engage with the economy. So it's the end result, and if you don't have the impact, you can't reach your value. So That's the point of the criteria. So you're almost drawing a picture of what the end result is looking like. With right. Your I mean, it, it sounds like this is, uh, to put this again back into more layman's terms, we're talking about the, the basic cause-effect kind of relationship. Yes. Where when you set your argument up correctly, your claim is supported by your warrant, and if all of that is linked correctly, it causes your impact, which then leads to a traditional rebuttal strategy of attempting to actually break apart the pieces of the argument. Yeah, Which okay. gets us into that second part, because I think that was a pretty helpful uh, description of impact. How, but I am curious about your answer to Ethan's question. How would you define a warrant? And yes. Well, what do you think about that? I, I'm going to say one last thing on impacts, and I absolutely know for certain that you are going to disagree with my next comment. <laughs> so brace Great yourself. Disclaimer. 99% of debates come down to consequences. Consequentialism is the only debatable framework in an extreme majority of cases, right? So whether I have to warrant that with the Isaac O2 card and say intention does not ensure the achievement of what one intends, if such tactics entail impotence, it's hard to view them as serving any moral good beyond the clean conscience of their supporters. It fails to see that in a world of real violence and injustice, moral purity is a form of complicity and injustice. It is often the pursuit of good that generates evil. Then, well, that would justify that. But the fact is, all debates essentially will come down to the impact because say say we're debating arms sales again. I keep bringing this one up because it's just a topic that won't go away this year. If you present a value framework of like maintaining U.S. global leadership, but I show that when we have nuclear war, we can't have U.S. global leadership, it doesn't matter what the intent of the action was. If you can't reach your end result, it's irrelevant. So that's why impacts contrary to your belief, do end up determining an extreme majority of rounds because frameworks devolve well, to consequentialism. I think you would agree Not with to, that, but maybe well, the ought there? No. That, Ethan, you yeah. read my mind. You so, now just to, You're a huge ought person. I am, and I, I do actually think that oughts do matter, and I would agree with uh, our, our speaker last night quoting David Hume that you cannot derive an ought from an is. What ought to be the case is often quite different from what is the case. I would agree with you, Matthew, that that often is the case. I don't agree that that ought to always be the yes. case because one of the, I mean, one of the more fun drills that we do, we do is this is back from parley days. It was kind of a fun exercise. It's horrible in terms of the logic and it's incredibly easy to commit logical fallacies in this game, but the game is how fast can you get to a new, to nuclear war? <laughs> it's the game of impact calculus. It's how quickly can you go from Bernie Sanders gets elected to nuclear war? And now you can you can string a set of events together. Proving causality, though, is where I would say an awful lot of debaters get very, very sloppy. The arguments I tend to hear turn on, I have a stat, therefore, here is my result. And I'm still back there wanting to know, okay, how exactly does that stat lead to the ca cause, yeah. the result that you're claiming? So for, at least in the rounds that I judge, so, and I'll freely admit, I'm probably the exception to the rule, 
I am not very impressed by tons and tons of impacts. I don't like a lives framework. I would much rather see careful thought that is correctly laid out that shows me that someone has carefully weighed how they're going to construct their arguments rather than an endless string of impressive impacts that may or may not result. And this is the perfect bridge to the world of warrants. I actually do have two value stories I'm going to jump back to in a minute, but this is the perfect bridge to the world of warrants. Warrants are the, the meat of your argument. So uh, as many of you may know, there are three, someone say four, parts of an argument. A claim, a warrant, and an impact. And data fits under the warrant. But data is not just the warrant. There are two types of warrants we want to look at. There's the big picture warrant and the internal warrant. So say, uh, gosh, any topic, free trade. We'll say free trade. Uh, and I'm, I'm running neg on unilateral free trade. And I can say... Free trade violates human rights. Or unilateral, unchecked globalism violates human rights. My That's warrant, th this is my claim. My warrant on that would be as long as globalism remains unchecked, it can be weaponized by oligarchic powers to oppress the, the, the peasants, right? So that's kind of like my general warrant, and I may have a piece of evidence saying that that is how it happens, like that's what happens. Then I have to break down how it happens. And so I could explain... What happens is when we don't have uh, humanitarian accountability, we build up the extreme power of the top 1% in foreign countries, especially like Southeast Asia. This is from the Michael Yates 2016 evidence. He's a socialist, FYI, but I don't mention that in rounds. Of course not. Um, Best to leave out uh, problematic details <laughs> like that that might uh, influence the bias of your judge it or is your possible. information. And was that an example of a big picture? Or yeah, well, so that's what I'm getting to. Like, So right. this is the internal warrant, is me saying like... Uh, you start to look at the way that trade would then build up their dominant caste and they can then use divide and conquer tactics to pit ethnic groups against one another, minority groups. And it ends up essentially creating like this form of economic slavery in which they're empowering themselves by pitting people against each other to prop themselves up. And like I said, I didn't read the full card, so I don't have the full internal link chain there. But that's kind of how you internally warrant something. Then you get to the data, and the data is one form of the warrant. It's what says my warrants are real, right? I explained the process. Here's the proof that it happens. So my data could be... Uh, X number of lives lost to sweatshop labor. But it's going to be some actual number. Yes. Someone said, in this town in northern India that has sweatshop labor, 226 children died over a six-month period that was studied. Yes. It's going to be some data that proves the claim that you've made in, your, in this particular level of war. Yes, and so the data, it, really coming down to your circuit, like here... At Coolidge, you ended up seeing a lot of people not use empirical data to say, this is the real expense of this. This is what objectively happens. We saw that in the final round, even. Yeah, mm -hmm. we did. But you can see that it's manageable, but I wouldn't do it. You, you do want data, and that's what gets you to impacts. Because when we look at the impact, we, that's like where you get the, you know, say, say I had the data to say nuclear spillage from... Uh, or like uh, something, uh, say I'm defending or I'm talking about like an infrastructure package to Pakistan and I say uh, it will increase the security on roads and this is important because there's potential lost nuclear material on roads. Now I get to my impact, nuclear terrorism, right? This okay. is where you can Which, go a little right, bizarre, right. right? But, you know, if we don't have control of the roads 
and we're transporting nuclear waste because it's Pakistan, we could have the potential nuclearization of terrorism and that could threaten because one dirty bomb in New York City, right? So like there's a mountain of evidence that people sure. run this. And done right, your impact makes sense. Your impact follows from the warrant that you've established and you've made clear to the judge's mind through your link. Yes. Now, and if you is- have a mountain of shaky warrants, it's a complete joke. So on that same financial disclosure topic, we were debating it at one tournament that, frankly, I didn't care about and I just wanted to have something to show up with. So I wrote the blippiest, deontological, crazy little neg that made zero sense to anyone who didn't listen closely. But then on the affirmative, I said... Uh, if Pakistani uh, officials don't disclose financial financial support for the campaigns, then the world ends in nuclear terrorism. And it, it was it was a mile of shaky links and warrants. It was a complete joke, but it shows the importance of your internal warrants have to be solid, or else you're just saying something for the sake of saying it, and it's wasting your time. Time is the most valuable weapon in debate, and if you can't if you can have something so easily delinked. You're wasting your own time. So what it seems like is that warrants and evidence are sort of the link from your claim to your impacts? Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's how you get there. Now, one quick thing I am just going to throw out on the value side of things just to jump us back there. Deontology does matter, and I do have two examples of this. First was that universal healthcare topic I mentioned earlier. Which, just for any listeners who uh, are are having trouble with the the big words that we're using there, deontology is an ethical framework that is based on duties. It's asserting you do have a duty to fulfill, a moral obligation that must happen regardless of the consequences. And uh, we do have an episode previously way back in season one that's focusing on the deontological framework. And that uh, at least I think it could be useful if you can actually persuade your judge that the good actually is real. But back to Matthew with a living example of a deontological framework. This being negative, I was instead not saying there's an affirmative obligation to get something done, but rather saying it would violate moral standards to use these means. So I was focusing on the means, not the end. And what I said is universal healthcare is inherently amoral because if a government puts someone on a waiting list and now gets to determine whether you or I get higher priority, then government's determining who has a right to life and who doesn't. And so from that basis, government cannot violate that tenet of morality, and so they do not have the moral authority to do as such. And so it comes from the means, not the ends. Okay. And so that matters. And then the other one, NSDA Nationals 2019, this past year, was resolved a violent revolution. Violent revolution is a just response to political oppression. And there are basically three debates you'd see. Intent, means, and results. And all of those were basically like the conflicting positions you'd take to try and prove your position. And so that's why convincing the judge of your framework, the best way to weigh the round and look at the round, is incredibly significant. Well, that's, that's really helpful. Let's, I want to move to a different topic now. And this is one that I, I, I found really helpful uh, years ago, and I'm curious if it's still set up the same way. Uh, and that, that's the question of topicality. Yes. Uh, we had a, a, the phrase on the Hillsdale team was all in on T, because if, if you go up against another team that you even, if you, if you have nothing else, uh, our, our strategy was to accuse the other team of being off topic and then try to prove it. And in most cases, they actually were off topic. But what well, can you tell us about topicality and, and the specifics of how to run how to run T? So uh, T can stand for one of two things: theory or topicality. Uh, again, stemming from the wonderful world of policy, uh, we're going to first talk about topicality. 
Now, all T arguments are built in four steps. The first thing you do is provide an interpretation. Say, and this is incredibly significant when you look at progressive LD or something, where I want to specify a plan, but that's not necessarily orthodox in all forms of LD. Say, my goal is to specify a plan. What I could say is, by definition, when we say the United States ought not provide military aid to authoritarian regimes, authoritarian regimes is a singular bare plural, meaning it is uh, can only refer to one if I would like it to. In the same way you could say... Um, Oh, no, I'm thinking of the wrong one. Basically, look at Jake Nebel's incredibly confusing articles on Victory Briefs. He explains everything about language on every topic ever, and it is incredible. <laughs> Everyone runs Nebel shells. That said, um, what's important is you, you provide kind of this interpretation as to how the round can be looked at. Now, if your opponent disagrees, they can read off a counter-interpretation. So I could say, no, 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 no. When we say authoritarian regimes, we're talking all of them. Because it's a plural, we need to talk about the world of authoritarian regimes. And I define it as such. Then I could say, and here's where they violate it. Uh, I would provide the violation showing how they don't reach that interpretation. Next are the standards or, or the, the limits. And this is kind of... Uh, what they should meet the standards of. Now, I'm actually going to change my example here because I realized I didn't pick a good one. How about defining what an authoritarian regime is? So everyone, or not everyone, a lot of people were running what was called the Louth Evidence, which gave a very comprehensive definition of what authoritarian regimes are. What we did with that then was say they have to meet these three characteristics. So my interpretation is the general definition Louth provides. The violation is that my opponent's country doesn't meet this uh, definition. The standards would be those three points and how they manifest themselves. And then the voter. And this is why theory matters. It, the, voters usually come down to one of two things, probably both. Education. Uh, always remember debate is an educational activity. If my opponent is minimizing the educational value of debate, so say, for example, they were saying I had to be prepped on every single regime on the planet, well, as the negative, it would be absurd to ask me for that burden of research, and I lose the educational value because I'm not able to look deep into one particular issue. Alternatively, there's fairness, and this could, again, be something like uh, the, the balance of research. This could be something such as time balance of whether or not the affirmative can continue to debate theory in the first affirmative rebuttal. All things about making sure there's equal ground in the round. So those are the two things you look at usually as voting issues. Another one, and this can fit under fairness, is the jurisdiction of the judge. The judge should not be allowed to vote on something extra topical outside the topicality of the round. So what you end up doing is you say, um, reject anything that's non-topical judge because it would be wrong for you to vote on it. Now, the other T is theory. And there, there's many, 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 many forms of theory. However, what I'm going to talk about is the three big theories in policy. A-spec, I-spec, and O-spec, I want to say is it. Why did they have to be named oh, that? A-spec, <laughs> O-spec, E-spec. A-spec, O-spec, E-spec. sounds uh, like a really bad rhyme. I, I, I want to say A-spec, O-spec, like, I-spec. Yeah. I'm thinking that's it. It... This is not my style of debate. Does Let me stand clarify. For anything? Does it, well, yes, I'm getting I mean, like, there. Honestly, we're, we're, I'm keeping track of our time. We're already getting pretty far. Okay, afield, so, so let's, I, let's, I'll give you the very quick well, version. Basically, it's like saying, "Is it within the round?" Like, so um, if you're debating with the wrong actor, so if I say the UN should do something when the resolution asks for the U.S. federal government, that would be an agent spec, and that, that'd be your a spec. So, yes, we can move on. I talk a lot. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let's well. 
Uh, one other thing that I want to that I, I want to get a list from you uh, really is uh, I know you've mentioned several programs this week that I've never heard of. So um, tell us what kind of apps, websites, and/or programs that you use to help speed up the whole preparation process, or that are generally helpful for being part of the debate world and community. So the first thing is getting connected, right? Uh, there, there's plenty of debate forums. There's CrossX. There's the subreddit. There's a lot of ways just to reach out to other debaters, Discord servers. That's the best way to learn. Um, there are YouTube channels such as Debate Drills or PF Videos that will post a round video you can watch. Um, occasionally you can find where they've posted the round documents, so if they're spreading you can follow what they're saying in case you haven't built up that ability yet. So there are lots of... First thing to do is get plugged in. Next, there are some apps, websites, programs, like you said, that are very useful. Weird one I'm going to start off with is called Debate Breaker. Get it on your phone. It's a free app. Um, it was designed for college debate, so it might look a little different. It doesn't talk about policy and LD. It talks about any three-on-three, APTA, some other, like, debate formats. But what you can do is you can plug in the number of competitors in an event, the number of rounds, and the number breaking, and it gives you a best and worst-case scenario of how the breaks will turn out. So at this tournament, I told you between three and six of the 25 or 26 three-threes will break. Which sounds very confusing at first, but when you look at it spelled out, it's very helpful. There's another app. I don't have it, but I've always considered getting it. I believe it's called Like So. And what it does is, again, this will not be the perfect explanation, but it, uh, it can measure your filler words, this rate you're speaking at, and basically like automate pointers to give you. Uh, I've never used it, but I've heard good things about it. In terms of websites, uh, there's a lot of things you can do to find resources easier. Debate.cards, you can find, uh, you can literally search up cards by tag name, by what you're looking for, by the author, by the year. You can find cards there. Uh, there's another one called OO Debate, which has actually come under a lot of controversy recently because it's very similar to a bit more organized version of Debate.cards, but instead you pay for it. And there's been a lot of pushback on like the pay to play model in Debate. And so OO Debate did come under fire for that. Um, then there's also, uh, what are some other programs out there? Um, there are plenty of resources you can find online as to ways to research and whatnot. Yeah. That's something everybody should use. Google Scholar's a lifesaver on every level. Uh, check out those, the debate wikis. You can find other cases people are running. See, like, what what's the best going on. There's also the briefs. So champion briefs, victory briefs, uh, the forensic we files. We, we've, we've done, I did a subscription to that one year. I didn't find that terribly helpful in the sense that what that really, it, it, it kind of inundated us with so much information that it then became a matter of sorting through 500 pages of cards for yes. a given for a given topic. So I, that, that was a bit much for what we where we were then. It all depends what you're going for. I know, so if a brief comes with, like, this is uh, one, the, um, say it was a, um, a lock AF on the Violent Revolutions topic. Well, if it gives you a lock AF and then it gives you responses to the lock AF, I may want the brief because then I have the responses pre-built and I basically already have cards that I can break down however I need and format arguments. So it's helpful when you're looking for blocks, in my opinion. Additionally, topic analysis can be, ana analyses can be very helpful. 
I have a question about Debate Breaker really quick. Yes. So when you're looking on the app, it has a couple of different categories. It says any three-on-three BP and APDA. Yes. What do those different things mean? BP is British Parliamentary. B- so you wouldn't click on that for anything we're doing. Well, okay. So no, because BP is a 2v2v2v2. What? Um, yeah, I'm wow. not gonna. I'm not gonna get it's into the confusing yeah, of BP. But just top the any tap the any three on three because that's basically just a one v one. It's three members of one team versus three members oh, of the other. Okay. I was and so that would be like that. Asian parliamentary or world schools debate. Uh, or Coolidge? Is that what you use for Coolidge? Yeah, so uh, the reason we call it any three on three is because it would be world schools or Asian parley, but it works the same way as any. Uh, where it's one team versus one team. Okay. So I just tapped that, and then I typed in 81 teams times six rounds times or with 32 breaks, and it figures it out for me. And, and you were telling me about some programs earlier, like Verbatim and yes. FlexCell for, for some case There's writing some things. incredibly useful programs uh, for your computer. First is Verbatim, and this is essentially the way that all cases are formatted, right? It's the way you organize them, the way you break them down. Um, it is a word extension, or it's a word template. Uh, it's free from, oh, what's, what's it called? It's, oh, from the, uh, it, it's verbatim, what's it called? Oh, Paperless Debate. Paperless Debate does it for free. There's an OS version that I'm not sure how well it works. Uh, in addition to that, you can also get the Google Docs version, which isn't actually verbatim, but there's a debate template you can find on Google Docs, so you can just search the template store, or I guess download template part on Google Docs and find those. Okay. So that's the way to structure cases. FlexCell is in case you want to flow on your computer. Uh, now, what's great about FlexCell is it's super fast. You can jump between tabs, you can jump all over the place, it's fantastic. My struggle, I write awfully. I write slowly. When I stand up to read a debate, or I read a rebuttal, I, I start looking at my flow pad, and I can't always read what I wrote. Okay. And that's rough when I have... I have three responses, but I can only read two of them, Judge, right? You never say that, but yeah, that, I, that's what I happens. Feel that. Now, I thought, wow, FlexCell will solve all my problems. And if that's my goal, it does a great job. The problem is I also got super used to being able to doodle on my flow pad. So I have certain signs I draw for a drop or a cross apply or tying things in together. So I have my own little language. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. And you can't necessarily do that on a computer. Now, I did at a certain point begin to translate it, if you will, to having different symbols I could use or different things I'd type all caps instead of drawing a box. But... Um, so it's got it's got drawbacks. It does. Well, but. like all things in debate, if anything didn't have drawbacks, I can guarantee you everyone would already be using it. Well, now Matthew, you've used a couple of uh, terms in this discussion. I want to see if you can uh, help us just clarify. Um, the first, so how would you describe the difference between circuit versus traditional debate? So um, th- this is a pretty good question. Uh, Circuit style is closer to one-man policy, right? If you go watch a TOC final round, it is one-man policy. Now, a traditional debate is kind of like your old-style LD. It's you're going to talk about John Locke, and I'm going to talk about uh, Thomas Hobbes, and we're going to debate out the best way a social contract should be structured. Uh, my best example of this would be the UIL spring topic from a handful of years ago, which was resolved in matters of justice, John Rawls' difference principle should be valued over Robert Nozick's entitlement theory. Oh, what a what awful a, resolution. Uh, it oh. was awful from the fact no one understood it. It was a great issue to debate, though. 
Man. So so it, it has its ups and downs. So there's like one example. There, do we have a Rawls episode yet? Either? I'm I'm typing all of this down so I could read all of this eventually. I yeah, promise we don't have you. a Rawls episode. I, I started reading some Rawls last year, and I, I need to do a I need to do a Rawls episode his I his concept Rawls. of justice is important for debate. And if yes. if anyone's doing a philosophy episode. Josh is the one to do it because you I'll try. Yeah, yeah, you no 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 don't definitely don't underrate yourself here. You do know a decent amount about philosophy, so I know I really don't like John Rawls, but he's important. I so uh, regardless of my opinions on him as to what he believes, I absolutely love the way he articulates his arguments. Sure, and in terms of debate, he's probably my one of my top guys to run. Oh, he's the easiest to run. I mean, if you run anything, if you want anything that's going to lean even slightly to the left in your impacts, uh, John Rawls is the theory to to get you there. And what exactly. do you think of John Stuart Mill? Because I, I think he has a really good way of structuring arguments. At least like, I've read most of his utilitarianism, utilitarianism essay. And I see you smiling, so I want to hear your response to this. Util's important in debate. I said earlier, an extreme majority of debates devolve to impacts. Util's the calculus on that. Utilitarianism can always be brought up. Now, everyone, everyone, everyone has a generic block. Util bad, because if you think that only the end result matters and there's no other considerations, we can justify heinous acts. So even a different ends-based criterion could be better. Something, say, for example, minimizing structural violence. Because if you perpetuate structural violence to have a different, like a, a different end impact that you value higher, that could be problematic because you perpetuate deeper issues. So that's why utils risky because everyone is ready to debate it. But it's also kind of like any generic impact round. So same okay. thing as running like cost benefit analysis. So I think I think John Stuart Mill definitely has a role in the debate world. Now my other favorite Mills is Charles Mills. Uh you can look at his theory called the racial contract and this gets you a bit more into theory debate or, or progressive debate. Look it up if you have some time. I'm actually going to jump back to circuit versus traditional. Thank you. So, I, I yeah. we got on, yeah, I got us off track on Rawls. Tra- traditional is very value criterion focused, very much so. Debate the framework, debate the morality of the issue. That's what it comes down to. As you get a bit more progressive, it becomes framework is a way to view the round, but let's also look towards impacts. And this is where we kind of meet this middle ground. That's usually where I end up debating is here's my framework. I'll read two minutes of framework and I'll give you the way to weigh the round. But here's my four minutes of arguments and impact. And this is why I win. Then you get Circuit. So this is, you know, if you're going to a TOC bid tournament, that's that's a Harvard, Yale, Stanford, uh, University, your UT, Winston Churchill, Green Hill, any of those big name tournaments, a national level tournament, you will be hitting progressive circuit style LD, and that's that's one man policy. Well, that that's really helpful. That's great to know, uh, Matthew. I appreciate how much you've helped us uh, know about that. Real quick, give us a uh, just a quick rundown. Um, how many different national tournaments have you made it to over your uh, over your years of debating? Well, you're about to make me lose a lot of my credibility here. Um, NSDA nationals, I went to as a freshman and a sophomore, so went there twice. National circuit tournaments, none. That's not my style of debate. That's not what I do. So I I live 30 minutes from UT. Never been to the UT tournament, right? But. NSDA Nationals, uh, I won an international extemp my freshman year in LD debate my sophomore year. 
Um, plus, additionally, something like if you want to count a Coolidge Cup national tournament, two of those. Definitely. We certainly want to be able yes. to count the Coolidge Cup as a national so, tournament. Yeah, yes. we do. If we you do. want to count that, I've done two of those. Um, uh, anything else? I don't think anything else off the top of my head, but I do a lot of Texas stateside debating. Okay. All right. Oh, we have a floss going on behind us as we close our round. Yeah, and that an is our Coolidge Cup champion right you, there. Yeah, say, say hi to the... Yeah, say hi say hello, so now that you won the Coolidge this Cup. This is Joshua Namalu, um, and I just Apparently, won the some people <laughs> think that I'm, I can defend free trade. <laughs> Apparently so. But not the lay judges, of course. You did a great <laughs> job. You did a great I job. I need to work on the lay judges being more persuasive. Aren't you graduating? I, I really, I, you won on flow, so so obviously I was kind of leaning. Uh, the speech side of me wanted the speech to win. Yep. But you deserve the win, man. Well, oh, well done. You. Well done. Good job. All right, Ethan. Uh, we, we've had a long we've had a long episode with a lot of jargon, and now some great friends watching. Close close out the episode. All right, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining us and teaching us all of this stuff that we had no idea how to explain. Um, we really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Ethan. I had a great time. What's the res listeners? Thank you for listening to this episode. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Reddit, you can do so at what's the res underscore, or you can check out our website at www.whatstheres.com. If you have any emails um, regarding questions or feedback, you can do so at what's the res at gmail.com. That's W H A T S T H E R E S at gmail.com. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.